The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. It's, a, it's an incredible day just to celebrate and remember that God's goodness for us. We're all here because of a mom, right? And so um, just to, to think about that and to remember God's goodness to us. And uh, so it is a, a special day. It's a special day for another reason in that today is going to be an ordination service for for Mickey McDonald as one of our elders. And so at the end of the service, then we'll do a, a commissioning, some vows that will be exchanged, um, and then a time of prayer over him. And so it's a, it's a really special day because I get the honor to do that. Um, there's a, a time that happens in a child's life where you transition out of this like parent's authority. They own the bank account, and so they control your life to this place where Okay, parents are more like peers and friends, and they give advice, and like they're fun to hang out with, and things like that, and you're responsible for the bank account. And so there's this transition that happens somewhere between the ages of like 15 and like 37, right? I think that's <laughs> the span we have now. But there is a transition that's supposed to happen, and, and it's been incredible because Chris and I moved here to Shreveport um, seven years ago. And are about seven years, six years. Um, and so we moved here and we found family. Um, our family, the closest family that's biological, lives like three and a half hours away or six hours away. And yet we found family here. We found moms and dads. Um, and Mickey and Nancy are some of those. They introduce Kristen and I sometimes as this is our son and this is our daughter, which is really awkward because they married each other, <laughs> which is strange. Some of y'all just now got it, right? But <laughs> um, we moved here, and we got the opportunity to be in Mickey and Nancy's um, community group for the first couple of years. Um, we didn't cheat, I promise. Some of y'all know. Y'all like y'all were scheming. We weren't. Um, but we got to be in their community group for a couple of years and just got to, to learn what community looked like and to see that modeled for us in an incredible way. But one of my favorite stories of the first time that I met Mickey and Nancy I had just moved here, my over students, and I had this vision of, of doing different summer stuff called the drop-off at different members' homes so that our kids could know these members and these members could know kids and, and just an opportunity to, to mesh the students with the rest of the church. And so I was asking around because I didn't know anybody. I was like, does anybody have pools or like game rooms or stuff that we could do like at their house? And the staff was like, well, you could call Mickey and Nancy. They've got a theater room. And I was like, theater room? Like, I didn't know what a theater room was. Um, but I now do. And it's incredible. And so they were, so I called Mickey and Nancy. And I was like, hey, uh, the staff told me that y'all have a theater room. And I was wondering if we could use it for the students. And they were like, yeah, sure. Anytime, what, what, what day, when, you know, yada, yada. So I told them we had it planned. So I show up early to meet them and like see what do I tell the students not to touch, you know, kind of one of those things like don't go here, don't touch these things. And they're like, we built the house to be used. And many of you guys know that because you've been in their house um, for connection group or things like that. And, and then they're like, drinks are over here in the wardrobe. Some of y'all know like, mm, it's like drinks here. And I was like, oh. Cool. Incredible house, right? But the thing that stood out the most to me is they were like, hey, we're going to go to dinner and then we'll be back before it's over. And I was like, 
I've got students going to be everywhere. And, uh, right? Like some of y'all have been there before where you're like, oh, um. But it was then that I knew that Mickey and Nancy loved the Lord and that they didn't love stuff more than they loved Jesus and that they were willing to use whatever God had gifted them with for the advancement of his kingdom and that truly their lives had been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it didn't matter that students were everywhere. They loved it because lives were being transformed, because relationships were being made, because real life was happening. And if you've been around Mickey and Nancy, then you know that. And you know that that's the way that they live, and that's the way that they live every day of their life. And so it is a great honor for me to, to preach a, a message uh, for his ordination. And so as I was thinking about different passages, then there's a passage in Acts chapter 20. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 20. And we'll read from verse 17 all the way through the end of the chapter. But as I was thinking of this passage, then this passage came to mind because this is a passage where Paul calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus. Paul's been on this boat journey, and he's been led by God um, to go to Rome. And he's been appealing to his Roman citizenship to get him to Rome, and he knows that he's going to go there. But on the way, then they stop in this port... And he's close enough to Ephesus that he's like, hey, send word. Send word to the church, to the elders of Ephesus and have them come because I want to see him one more time. I want to see him one last time. And, and I always love in movies, you know, you have like the, the parting scene. It's like the last words of wisdom, right? Like what's the last thing they're going to say? And so here in Acts 20, we get Paul's parting words to the church of Ephesus, to the elders. And so specifically, he's got a message to the elders. And so that's why I thought of this, is that it's specifically a message to the elders. But, but I don't want you all to check out and say, well, I'm not an elder, so this doesn't apply. Because the scripture says that, that those who aspire to the office of elder aspire to a noble thing. And so there should be something in all of us that goes, I, I want that. It's a high calling. And Titus and Timothy, they, they outline what that calling is and what it looks like and the qualifications of that. But it's a noble task. And so in our Christian life, we should all aspire to this calling. We should all long for that and look to that calling. Because it's not like, oh, I'm not an elder, I don't have to be holy, right? That's not what the Christian life is about. Oh, I'm not an elder, I don't need to heed these warnings. But so here specifically, there, I'm going to be speaking, Paul's speaking specifically to the elders, but there is a, an impact that should go for all of us, right? That the application goes for all of us, that these are things that we should all long for in our life. And so let's begin by reading verse 17 all the way through. Now from Miletius, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, this is Paul speaking. You yourselves know how I lived among you and the, the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, 
testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer for, you, for overseer to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come, among, come in among you, not sparing the flocks. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to the necessities to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard, in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Lord, as we dive into your word and, and look at the treasure that it is, God, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear from you, God? And would you do the work in our heart, which only you can do, that you would give us the desires for the things of God? Lord, that you would help us to long for the things which you tell us to long for, that you would help us to remember the things which you tell us to remember. God, that you would help us to live according to the things which are true of us in Christ. God, we ask that you would do it in us. Lord, we ask that you would do it for your glory and for our good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's two things that I want to really pull out of this text. As Paul gives these parting words, and there's really kind of two things that we can kind of cluster these things under. That, that Paul gives an example of vigilance, and Paul gives a charge to be vigilant. Paul gives an example of vigilance, and Paul gives a charge to be vigilant. And so first, I want to look at this example. Because here, Paul, in this passage, then he says that an elder must remain vigilant in his personal relationship and with the Lord, and he must be vigilant to care for the church. He's got to remain vigilant in his personal relationship with the Lord, and he's got to remain vigilant in his care for the church. And so we're going to see this in Paul's example of vigilance. If you start in verse 19, then you'll see what he's saying. We get this example that Paul 
like every good teacher, he doesn't just say it, he's modeled it, right? You all with me? That, that he doesn't just say, do this, do this, do this, do this. But he says, do this, and this is how I've lived it in front of you. This is what it looks like. I've modeled it for you. And so verse 19, look at what he's modeled. It says, serving the Lord with all humility. Paul begins right out of the gate as he says, I served with humility among you. Now, we know what it looks like to be humble because we know what it looks like when someone's boastful and prideful, right? Like sometimes it's harder to identify humility, but it's super easy to identify someone who's proud and boastful, right? And Paul goes, I modeled what it looks like to be an elder, to be a leader of the church with humility. That I didn't say, hey, I'm in the boss. You do it. He didn't say, hey, I'm in charge. That's below me. No, he modeled it with humility. Paul didn't just model things in word. He modeled them in deed. And it started with humility. Next, we see that, that Paul modeled it with humility, but he also modeled it with tears. That Paul had compassion. He wasn't just an academic that was aloof and said, that's wrong. No, he was compassionate towards people. That when they hurt, he hurt. When they wept, he wept. When there was brokenness, he was broken. He modeled with humility and he modeled with tears. That when the church was falling apart, Paul fell apart. When the flock hurt, Paul hurt. That he wasn't just this dictator but he was among the people, and he had compassion. Jesus said it like this. He said that when he saw the lostness, he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on the lostness. And Paul, we see here that he is compassionate. He modeled it with tears. He served the Lord with tears. But he didn't just serve with humility. He didn't just serve with tears. He also served with trials. It wasn't all peachy for Paul. Sometimes I think that's the most encouraging part of reading the scriptures is it's like, okay, these people went through a mess too. That there was pain and hurt and trials. And Paul served the Lord through trials. Paul also served the Lord by not shrinking back. It says that, that he didn't shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable. He knew that when I say this, it's going to ruffle some feathers. He said, but it's for their good. It's worth, worth causing a stink because it's worth their good. It's profitable for them. He said, I didn't shrink back just because it was going to offend somebody. I didn't shrink back just because someone's feelings were going to get hurt. I declared what was profitable. I called out sin. I encourage people to holiness. I held out the standard that God holds out. I knew it was going to ruffle feathers. I didn't shrink back from that. But yet he didn't do it boastful and prideful, saying I'm better. He did it with humility. And so we see in this very just beginning, we see that Paul holds out this incredible example, right? That in his deeds, the way that he lived, then he modeled what it looked like to be an elder. He modeled what it looked like to live the Christian life. But it wasn't 
just in his deeds, he also proclaimed it in his word. It was words and deeds. Look at verse 20 and 21. It says, How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything profitable and teaching in public and from house to house. Paul taught in a public setting, but he also taught in a very private setting. You know, one of the things that I've loved about just being around Mickey is that if you know about Mickey, you know about the Bible study that, that he helps lead and that he leads in Southern Trace. It's what he does, right? It's, it's the thing, and they, they say that we talk about the important things in life. It's a group of guys that just talk about important things. There's a public setting to that of opening the Word of God, of teaching what the Word of God says and the application of it. But I have to imagine that many of those conversations that start in the public continue in the golf cart, on the tee box, home to home, house to house, talking about the application of the way that the Word of God works into everyday life. Paul taught public and private. He taught with boldness. He taught night and day. He taught Jews and Greeks, verse 21. He says he testified to the Jews and to the Greeks. He had to work out application for for these two different people groups, right? That were hearing and understanding the gospel in these different ways and, and how the truth of the gospel was applied to every life. Not just the people that were like him, but the people who were very different from him. The people who thought he was crazy and wrong, he still applied the gospel to. The people who thought, no, this guy's messed it up and he's a traitor and he's abandoned it, he applied the gospel to. He taught everyone the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the message that he preached. He preached repentance towards God. It's not a very fun message to preach if you've ever preached that message. That what you're doing is wrong. And you need to stop. And you need to quit going that way. And you need to turn around and go the other way. And people go, well, who are you to tell me that I'm doing wrong? Right? It's not a fun message, but it's the message of the gospel that in order to follow Jesus, we have to quit walking our own path. And Paul preached the message of repentance. But Paul also preached this message of faith. It says the, of faith. It wasn't just stop going down that path and choose another one. It was that you've got to stop going down that path and you've got to follow Jesus Christ alone, the Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation is found only in him and no other way. The exclusivity of Christ that, that only by faith in Jesus do you receive the gift of forgiveness and restoration and redemption. That it was faith in Jesus Christ alone that brings about the forgiveness of sins and ushers in the hope of eternal life, the redemption, the reality that we're adopted into a family and that we're brothers and sisters that we're saints. Something's ticking, is that? It's going gonna, it's gonna to stop, I think. Sorry. I saw a bunch of heads, and so I was like, we'll just call it out, and it'll go away. <laughs> right? But Paul was preaching this message through his words, but he also preached it through his deeds, and isn't that what great teachers do? They don't just tell you, but they show you. And that's the example that we have. And so just imagine this. The, the elders of Ephesus have come. And they're with Paul, and they know this is his last time. And they say, 
Paul's telling them, he says, hey, you guys know how I lived. You got to see it modeled. You got to see the way I lived, and he's telling them this, and he says, you got to hear what I preached. And then he moves out of that to a challenge, to a charge that he gives them, that he says, hey, so now I'm gone. Look at verse 26. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Catch this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. There's a bookend here, right? He says, be careful, pay attention. And he says, be alert. The charge that Paul gives to these elders in his parting statement is, be vigilant. Be vigilant. Be alert. I was reading a book, actually listening to it on audio book, and it was about Vietnam. And, and it was talking about in Vietnam that these watchmen who were setting up to keep watch, that if they fell asleep on watch, corporal punishment, it was punishable by death. And I was like, whoa. I keep your eyes open, right? It's like toothpicks. Where are they? But why? Because their job was so serious. Their job impacted more than just them. It impacted everybody. That if they weren't vigilant, it could be bad for the whole group. And so Paul here, he says, be careful. Pay careful attention. Be alert. Be vigilant. And we go, well, what's so dangerous about church? Right? We go, what's so dangerous about church? Church is where I come and eat some donuts and I get some coffee and I smile and say hello to some people and we, we just kind of take a big breath because it's been crazy to get here, right? Happy Mother's Day. You're like, we're getting to church, right? What's so dangerous about church? Mom, mom's dangerous when we're trying to get to church, right? But what's so dangerous about church? My kids go in the back, they learn some cool stories. What's so dangerous about church? Well, the scripture is clear and Paul is clear that there is a great danger for the church and for those that are in the church of being lulled into idleness. Of being lulled into idleness that nothing bad has happened, nothing bad's going on, and so we can relax. I was watching some Major League Baseball and I love baseball. And I was watching some of these recaps on some of these games and and they were breaking down, in Major League Baseball, they were breaking down the delayed steal. I see you. You're like, come on, baseball, right? They were breaking down the delayed steal, and they're showing in this game this delayed steal. Well, what's the delayed steal? Well, the delayed steal is when the guy, he doesn't take off when the pitch goes, right? He doesn't just fire off. There's a, a little hesitation, and then he goes. Why? Because what he's seen is the base runner has watched that the catcher got lazy. That the catcher who's supposed to be on guard, who's watching, has gotten lazy. And so he watched, they were breaking this play down, and the catcher, you know, he kind of catches the ball, stretches his leg out, and kind of lobs one back to the pitcher. And all of a sudden he knows, I can go. 
next time I can go. Because the watchman has gotten lazy. The watchman has gotten idle. The watchman has forgotten the warning. And so when the pitch comes, there's a little hesitation. And then he goes, throws too late. Can't catch up. Because there was an idle time. There was a wait. There was a delay. And so Paul's charge to these, the elders at Ephesus is, is be vigilant. Be ready. Don't get lulled into a sleep. But, but what are they vigilant for? What do they need to pay attention to? Look carefully at verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Oh, hear this. Pay careful attention to yourselves. You know who the easiest person to deceive is? It's yourself. The easiest person to deceive is yourself. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's so easy for us to lull ourselves to sleep. For us to play the game in our mind that sin won't actually cost me that much. That it's not that bad. That I don't have to keep watch that carefully. That it's just a little thing on the side. Paul is challenging these elders especially. He says, pay careful attention to yourself. Don't allow the foothold for sin. Genesis tells us with Esau that, that sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is for you. But you must overcome it. Jesus tells us that, that we must pay careful attention. He tells us that, that sin is within us. That it's not this problem outside, but it's within. And so he says, pay careful attention. For the elders, there needs to be accountability for ourselves and mutually across the board. Oh, isn't that what we all need? For some people up in our life, for some people to ask the hard questions, for people to, to poke and prod in places where we want to keep in the dark in order that our sin might be exposed, in order that we might live holy, in order that God might be exalted. Oh, be careful. Pay attention to yourselves. But he says, okay, so you've got this job of paying careful attention to yourself and you've got this other job of paying careful attention to the flock. Now, I think it's important that he says the flock. The flock is sheep. He says, you've got to pay careful attention to yourself as an under-shepherd, but you've also got to pay careful attention to the sheep. In South Sudan, then we get up close and personal with flock, right? It's like you go into the village and you see what the flock has left behind, right? But you also get to see that, that these sheep can't make it on their own. They do need a leader. Why do they need a leader? Well, they need to be fed. They need to be watered. They need to be protected. The sheep need to be protected, and that's exactly where Paul's going to go with this, is he's going to say, pay careful attention to the flock. Know the flock. Know the sheep, know their needs, know their tendencies, know them, pay careful attention to the flock. But he gives a couple qualifiers here. He says the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, like God has given you this task, God has granted you this responsibility, the Holy Spirit has given you this, and so God's given it to you, but catch this, to take care of the church of God. It's not your church. 
It's God's church. How do we know? Which he obtained with his blood. He bought the church with his own blood. It's his church. Oh, that's an incredible, incredible insight. That it's not any person's church. It's God's church. And he has given the responsibility. It's his church. And he has given the responsibility through his Holy Spirit to leaders to shepherd that. It's not their church. It's God's church. But they have a responsibility to shepherd the church. To know the flock. To feed the flock. To protect the flock. But he goes on, verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. When the shepherd's away, the party's on, right? That's what the wolf thinks. Hey, Paul's gone. Sitting ducks. Right? Paul's gone. There's not a protector. And wolves will come in among But look at what he says. He says that wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Fierce wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. But here's the reality, right? If wolves walked into the church, we're like, ah, wolf. And sometimes that happens. But most of the time, these wolves look like little red riding hood wolves, right? They're wearing granny's bonnet. They don't look like wolves, They've snuck in from among you. They've raised up from among you and speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. They come in and their sole purpose is to destroy and devour, to scatter the sheep. And Paul says, you're an overseer. Shepherd the flock. Pay careful attention. Know when the flock is susceptible to wolves. Know their tendencies. Protect them. It's not a matter of if they come. He says, I know that they will come. Oh, Norris Ferry, listen carefully. Wolves will come. We have an awesome church. It's incredible. The community that we have here, the community groups that we have here, the way that we do life on life, the way that we do it is incredible. But we are not above wolves coming in. They will come in. Scriptures tell us they will. Jesus says that that the devil is prowling around like a lion looking for whom he can devour. Oh, be careful. Keep watch. And so for the elders, their job is to keep watch. But this is a warning for all of us, right? This is a warning for every church member. Keep watch. We're not out for witch hunts. We're serving the Lord, loving the Lord. How do you know that they're wolves? Because they're speaking twisted things. They're speaking things that aren't true of the word of God. And so as we know the word of God and as we study the word of God, then it becomes our defense against wolves. That we would see them. That we wouldn't be deceived into thinking, oh my, what big teeth you have. Oh my, what a long nose you have. Oh, my, that's an interesting doctrine. Oh, wow, Jesus plus something else? No, that's not the gospel. That's not the truth of God's word. Oh, be careful, church. Oh, be alert, elders. Oh, be vigilant, Christian. 
But he goes on and he says this. Verse 31, I love it. He says, therefore, be alert. Remembering that night, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night and day. Now that's exhausting to me. If I think three years, night and day, he did not cease to admonish everyone with tears. That's a lot of tears, number one. And that's a long time. To do anything for three years, night and day, it's exhausting, right? But he says, oh, be vigilant. Oh, I modeled it for you what it looks like. Be vigilant. Be careful. Keep watch. Be alert. Remember, you're not alone in this. And then verse 32, here's the most incredible part of this whole passage, I think. Is that after such a lofty, high calling, which I hope all of us go, well, who can do that? Like, that, I physically can't do that night and day, all the time, be alert, on guard, all the time. Is there time for rest? Have you ever been where you just want to come home and stare at a blank wall? Like, you ever been there? Like, I, I get there sometimes, and I'm like, I don't want to even watch TV or veg on anything, just a blank wall. Like, please, just a blank wall, silence. Like, lock me in a room. Right? Have you ever been there? Like, you're just war slap out. You've been dealing with hard stuff, trying to make hard decisions, and you're just spent. Your brain's tired. Like, the little mouse is, like, wore out up there. And you're just tired. He says, stay vigilant, stay alert. And he's like, this is exhausting. And so right after this incredible challenge that seems impossible to do, then Paul gives this incredible encouragement. He says this, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. He says, now I commend you. Now, to commend someone is to recommend, to say, here they are. I recommend them. I commend them to you. And so Paul is saying to these elders, he says, now I'm recommending you to God and to the grace that he has for you. Oh, the encouragement of that. So what does this look like? Well, to be commended to God, the challenge for an elder is that you can't lead what you don't have. That it's about a personal relationship. That the best benefit to the church is for the elder to have a deep, deep abiding relationship with God. If you know Mickey, then you know he's a pretty successful guy. Whether it's on the golf course or whether it's in the business world, he's been pretty successful. If you, I mean, just look at Nancy. He's pretty successful, right? Like his whole life, success. But the benefit that he will provide for this church is not his business success. It's not his golf success. It's not his natural abilities, but it's his deep, deep abiding relationship with God. The benefit that you provide to the rest of the body is when you walk with Jesus closely. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The word of his grace, the salvation that's found in Christ is the gospel. It's the grace of God. It's Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, we would love nothing more than to help you know him. That all of us have walked away from Jesus, that we've all chosen our own way. We have all chosen sin over Jesus. And because of that, then there's a penalty of death that we all deserve. 
eternal separation from God that we all deserve because we have all offended a holy God. And yet God, because of his love for us, he sent his son Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life and to die a death he didn't deserve so that you and I could have a relationship. That's grace. That's the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ that he paid the penalty he didn't deserve for you and for me in order that we could have life eternal. If you don't know that, we want to help you know that. We'd love to tell you more about that. The deep well of that grace that Mickey has walked, that he's lived for the years that God has put him here, will be the blessing to this church. That when trials arise in a marriage, and he goes, God is faithful. His grace is sufficient. It will get you through. When trouble arises with with doctrine or discipline or parenting or, or anything in this church, and he pulls from the well of God's deep, deep grace that he's walked, that he's lived, that he's experienced, that when obstacles arise and it seems there's no way and he says, trust God, he's faithful, his grace is sufficient. That will be the deep blessing for this church. That will be what will make him an elder. It, it, in this passage, it reminds me, I, was, I was saw in Matthew, then the apostles had just gone out, Jesus had sent them out, and they did these incredible miracles, right? They had healed people, they had raised the dead, like th- they had cast out demons, they had done incredible things. They had done incredible things. And when they came back and they were like, Jesus, check out what we did, and he said, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice in the fact that you know God and his deep grace is sufficient for you. Paul commends these elders to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's the grace of God that's sufficient. It's the grace of God that will keep us. It's the grace of God that will build us up. It's the grace of God that gives us what we need in times of need. It's the grace of God. There's a song that was written in 1779. And I think it captures the reality of what Paul was saying here to these elders that, that, listen, once you get grace you don't move past grace. That, that grace is what you keep, it's what you get, and it's what you need every day. That you don't graduate past it, you don't move on from it. It's not like, hey, I was saved by grace and now I do it by works. No, it's grace, grace, grace. And so this song, I think it will be familiar to you. It says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind but now I see. Catch this. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail, 
The mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's God's grace that saves us, keeps us, equips us, and brings us all the way home. The call of an elder is a high calling. The call of the Christian is a high calling. And it's foundational, foundational on the fact that we understand God's grace, that we live in God's grace, that we pull from the deep well of God's grace, and that it's His grace that provides us the inheritance among those who are sanctified. What we're going to do now is I'm going to have Mickey and Nancy come up, the call of the elder. And so we're going to go through some vows with Mickey and Nancy. Um, these vows come from various parts of the scripture where it's talking about an elder. And, uh, and so much of the way that we do church is, is kind of based off of Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which says this. It says, Obey these leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That God has given the responsibility of, of those who will oversee, who will keep watch as elders of the church. And God has given that responsibility to, to men to do that. And so it's the job of the church to submit to that, just like Paul modeled and just like Paul led. But these elders, they will give an account to the Lord for how they lead and for how they oversee and how they keep watch. And so that's a very serious thing that we take very seriously in the church. That's, the way we do that. that's why we do membership the way we do. That's why we do our membership class the way we do. That's why we do community groups the way we do. That's why we have elders. And so we want to be faithful to this. And so it is a, a very high calling. And so there's a commitment, which I will ask Mickey. I will read some questions, and then I will ask him to, to take vows. And so he is taking vows to the Lord and to us as the church. And then I will ask the members of Norris Ferry to stand, and I will ask y'all to take vows as well to Mickey and to the Lord. And so it's a very serious time. It's an incredible time to, to see what God has done, um, that he's raised up Mickey to be an overseer, to be an under-shepherd, to be an elder. And so um, here's these questions. Mickey, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, and supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and covenant of this church contained the truth taught in the Holy Scriptures? I do. Do you promise that at, if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith and the covenant, you will, on your own initiative, make known to the pastor and the other elders and the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow. I do. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Norris Ferry Community Church? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? I do, with God's help. Have you been induced, as far as you know, 
your own heart to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truth of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as an elder, whether personal or relative, public or private? And will you endeavor, by the grace of God, to adorn the ministry of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk in exemplary piety before this congregation? I will, by the grace of God. Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministries and resources of the church and to devote yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Norris Ferry Community Church and in the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. I will, with the help of God. Congregation, if you will rise, if you're a member of Norris Ferry Community Church, I want to read again Hebrews 13, 17, which is what Paul instructs the members of the church. He says, Obey these leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Norris Ferry, do you, the members of Norris Ferry Community Church, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as elder, as a gift of Christ to this church? Will you love him and pray for him in his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God? Thank you. Y'all can be seated. At this point in time, then, then what we're going to do is Mickey and Nancy will be um, kneeling here. And what I would like to do is, is ask anyone who has been ordained as a minister or who serves as a community group leader or a co-leader um, or the, the current elders that they would come by and just, just pray over Mickey and Nancy in this time. Um, for you, if you're sitting there, if you would just continue to pray for Mickey and Nancy in this, um, that God would be gracious to them that they would know God's deep grace as they walk this path. And so um, let me pray for us, and then if we'll form a line down this wall, and y'all can pray for them as you come by. But Lord, as we have seen in this, that Paul instructs of this incredible calling of an elder, as he instructs that, that we should obey these leaders of the church, God, we, we pray that you would continue the work which you've begun in Mickey and Nancy. God, that the work which you've begun with, with the realization of his need for Christ would continue. God, that he would know the deep grace of God in his life. That he would know the reality of the grace of God which can work in everyone's life. That there is no sin too big. There is no one too far gone. That the grace of God can't reach them. God, I pray that you would give wisdom to Mickey as, as he oversees the church and oversees members of the church. Lord, would you help him to be careful, to be attentive to himself, to be attentive to the flock. Would you help him to stay alert, to be vigilant, to serve you in the calling which you've given him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. 
For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.